Today's episode of the Yin's Above Replacement podcast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel about how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That is gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome back to the Yin's Above Replacement Podcast. This is episode 50. The Jameson Tyone, Charlie Morton, Tom Gorzolani, Stan Belinda Memorial episode. I am Rob Beertemple. I cover the Pirates for The Athletic here in Pittsburgh. And I am joined by the journalistically adroit <laughs> Stephen J. Nesbitt. Rob, you can make a nice starting five from the 50s. <laughs> you could. It's... Uh, a lot of pitchers at 52, which was, I, you know, I was a little surprised by that. Um, maybe I shouldn't have been. I don't know. But one thing I did notice doing my research is that there's a team that doesn't have a lot of 50s. And uh, <laughs> actually, there was just a couple of names listed at 50, and I recognized neither of them. But I'm a Johnny-come-lately to Everton football. And because of that, and I know you probably are maybe a little thin in the uh, in the English Premier League background as well. So I thought, who better in these times when we've got nothing better to do as journalists, sports journalists, than to talk about our games and other games is to bring on a couple of guys who are doing the same thing on the other side of the ocean. Before we bring on our guests, Rob, we are going to have a second episode this week, a gift an Easter gift to the listeners. Our gift to you. <laughs> Absolutely. We are, oh man, I had a uh, just a, a wonderful past week. I, I set up a Pirates fan satisfaction survey at theathletic.com, <laughs> and we had a flood of responses. We had over 1,100 responses, and people, as you can imagine, the satisfaction part uh, doesn't really <laughs> apply to most, most Pirates fans. Uh, we had some extremely strong responses, but also a ton of really thoughtful ones. And, and the story went up today. It's a rundown of a ton of them. But I figured, hey, let's do another episode this week and have uh, let's break down those answers more. I'll, I'll give some stuff I didn't air, some play, and we will uh, talk through some of the numbers, some of the questions, and, and sort of see uh, our get, give our take on on uh, the fans' take. So. Uh, if you're into it, Rob, I'm into it. Spoiler alert, the fans are not happy with ownership. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I know. What are the odds? So, yes, <laughs> tune in later this week for the bonus yar, extra yar, as they say in British soccer, extra time, injury time, whatever you want to call it. Nobody here is injured, but we're going to have extra time. And look for that uh, on Friday. Well, let's get to our guests, Greg O'Keefe and Patty Boyland, who cover Everton. For the athletic and Patrick, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi guys, thank you for having me on. Pleasure to be here. 
tell us, uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 like I said at the beginning, I'm kind of a, a newcomer, a little bit of a Johnny come lately to, uh, Premier League and especially to Everton about eight years ago. Uh, I decided to start following it because a lot of people I knew were following it and it's, we would go to, there's a couple different pubs around here and watch games. So I decided to choose a team and I, I researched and my best friend is a big Everton supporter. Um, and there's a guy, actually another guy on our athletic staff, Rob Rossi, who's an Everton guy. So it just, for me, seemed like a natural fit in a lot of ways because, as you know, as you've probably heard, Everton fans are born, not made. Tell us a little bit about your club, the Everton Football Club. Yeah, so I think that's quite an interesting place to start with the the born, not made, or born, not manufactured, as the, the club like to spin it in kind of <laughs> an advertising slogan. Um, there's this juxtaposition in the city of Liverpool between Everton Football Club, which is seen as kind of the people's club in quotation marks, mm-hmm. the club for the kind of the ordinary working man, and then you've got Liverpool Football Club, obviously owned by Fenway Sports, the the, the American institution. Um, so I don't think actually that's particularly fair in a lot of ways. Um, and maybe I'm doing, doing my own team a little bit of a disservice here, but as ever with sports, there's a lot more nuance in play. Um, I think it would be fair to say though that Everton's main kind of the, the, the main section of the fan base are, are local and yes of course we've picked up a lot of US fans over the last kind of decade or so because of Tim Howard because of Landon Donovan Brian McBride and going even further back Joe Maxmore who I think played for Everton at the start of the mm-hmm. at the start of the noughties so in some ways Everton would like to see themselves as again open quotation marks America's team and um I, th- I think we see that in our readership. We see a lot of American fans, but we see a lot of English, local to Liverpool and, and Merseyside fans as well. It's a, it's a very historic football club, a club that was winning trophies very early on, formed in 1878, and they've won li- nine league championships. So it, it's, a, it's a team that's maybe not particularly successful at this moment in time, but it's certainly a, an historic institution, has had lots of fantastic kind of world-renowned players and plays in a, a stadium, Goodison Park, home to about 40,000 fans. So, it's uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting club. I'm, I can see how you've stumbled across Everton. I just, I almost feel a little bit sorry for you that that's the route you've been pushed down. <laughs> now, Greg, we um, w- when Rob first introduced this idea of a crossover podcast uh, between Everton and the Pirates, I thought he was just trying to shoehorn his his blues pride in into, <laughs> into into our territory a little bit, but the more the more diving into the the Wikipedia I did, the more I, I did see some fun uh, connections between the Pirates and and uh, and Everton. Um, some of those things that both basically born at the same time the the eighteen eighties, just about eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. Both had an influential person named last name Kendall. Uh, we had Howard Kendall and Jason Kendall were the Pirates. And uh, the way Rob described it, at least, was sort of a blue-collar city, smaller budget operation compared to the rest of the league. That's very much where Pirates fans see themselves and also having a golden era, well, quite a few decades uh, behind them. I was curious, Greg, uh, what uh, what's your history with Everton and what's sort of the way you see that uh, that club? Yeah, and it's interesting listening to the parallels as, as you're outlining them there. It's... Um, Especially, there's only about four or five years difference between the founding years of the two of the two clubs, wasn't it? So there are some re- really nice yeah. um, parallels. Um, probably similar to Paddy, you know, I kind of grew up an Everton supporter. Um, 
although kind of journalistically I was initially a news journalist uh, on the local paper and then uh, only got into sport towards the back end of my career, the, 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 the Liverpool Echo um, covering Everton. Then, so then moved to BBC Sport when I did kind of all sports and then uh, Paddy and I jumped on board to the Athletic um, um, God, almost a year ago now, isn't it? It's coming up to um, certainly, certainly not far off last August. But yeah, so it, it's kind of always been a sort of professional, well, latterly it's been a professional and personal kind of obsession <laughs> of mine. And I think you have to be an obsessed with, with Everton. It's um, it's not the most rewarding of clubs to, <laughs> as Paddy says, then it's like, it's, <laughs> it's quite a kind of um, in-joke slash kind of uh, like um, support network of, you know, when you speak to people who've been belatedly converted into Evertonians, you do, you feel this mixture of pride and, and sympathy, <laughs> I think would be the apt way of, you know, of all the clubs <laughs> that you could have chosen to um, hitch your wagon to. Uh, it, it, you know, it, they are a fantastic club. Evertonians are, you know, great, great people. You, you always, it might be a little bit of sentimentality, but I always think that there's an affinity between Evertonians and, you know, I don't know, maybe it's that shared kind of misery <laughs> of watching us win nothing for the last 25 years, but, you know, that sort of gallows humour and that sort of appreciation of what matters in football and, you know, um, I think it, it's a, it's a, it's a common thread among those clubs who've got this, Blue collar fan base who are from a big city and who haven't had the success. So I think, um, you know, you have to double down on the other qualities that make a, you know, a nice fan base in terms of, you know, humility and character and things like that. And, um, there's definitely that right. Everton and, and I guess the more I speak and learn from you guys with Pittsburgh too. Yeah, I can tell you, and there's a, there's a cluster of, uh, Evertonians here in Pittsburgh. We get together on Saturdays. Uh, a lot of times I haven't been able to, well, obviously now nobody is, is able to go to the pub and watch them play now, but, um, we would get together and every, whenever there'd be a derby, a Merseyside derby, the, the, the Liverpool group, which is, uh, a little larger and a little bit more, rightfully so, I suppose these days, especially <laughs> uh, vocal <laughs> would have us over. And it, it, it's, it is one of the things I, I've learned just, you know, through, through tweets and, and just from saying it during matches is, God, that's so Everton. <laughs> to be up 2-0 as we, as we head to regulation and come out of it with a 3-2 loss. Uh, you know, things yep. like that are, are just, uh, uh, it just makes you want to beat your head. But I think Pirates fans, yeah, as you say, can, can relate in some ways because it's been since 1979 since the Pirates won the World Series. They've been to the postseason a couple of times since then. Without much success, I uh, haven't won a series, you know, a, a, a series round since then. And it is something that requires patience, per- perseverance, and, and a lot of dedication. And, and it's a hometown kind of thing too. And that's one of the things that attracted me to the club was, as you say, it does have, you know, the people's club type appeal, that family, you know, hometown kind of, and I'm, I'm sure other clubs as well have that same kind of thing, but just for some reason, Everton seemed to fit better with me. Um, Blue, too, has just always been my favorite. <laughs> well. Question I have for you guys, and, I, and actually, now that I think about it, too, I think the, the Blues have a some sort of tie-in with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, which is like a semi-pro football club here in Pittsburgh. Um, not sure how extensive it is anymore, but question I've always had for you guys, maybe you can answer for me. Sir Paul McCartney, Everton or no? 
Everton, yeah. He's an Everton fan. I think he was uh, certainly in direct opposition to John Lennon there, who I believe was a Liverpool fan. As as ever in, in the city of Liverpool, the sporting rivalry kind of splits families. It splits friendship groups. It's very, very rare to stumble across an all-Everton family or an all-Liverpool family, an all-Everton friendship group, an all-Liverpool friendship group. And you kind of get the drift there. It's a, it's a city in which I think you look at some big sporting rivalries and some big UK footballing rivalries. And in Scotland, we have Celtic and Rangers in the city of Glasgow. That's a rivalry that's founded on sectarian bases. So Celtic are a Catholic team and Rangers are a Protestant side. There's none of that here with Everton and Liverpool. There's very little point of separation politically, uh, in terms of religion, any of those kinds of things. It just depends on who your dad supported or who your granddad supported <laughs> and who took you to the game, who took you to the game first. I think thankfully or, or maybe not thankfully as far as myself and Greg are concerned, it was, it was our, it was our dads that took us to Goodison and that, that trip. My fair, I've got, yeah. so, oh, sorry, so just what Paddy says there in terms of go fate go and who takes you to your first game, just to impress upon this sort of, how it was set from this kind of misery from day one. My first game my dad took me to was like, on a positive note, it was the FA Cup final in 1989 at Wembley. What an amazing occasion to go and watch for your first game, going down to the National Stadium. It was a Merseyside derby, extra special, Everton versus Liverpool. Everton score to level it up and it goes into extra time and then Liverpool win. So my my first game was a grand disappointment <laughs> and it was at the hands of Liverpool. It's pretty much been the same ever since. <laughs> now patty i know we, we have to let you go in, in just a minute but i wanted to ask you um you know baseball is known here in the states as kind of having the best media access that there probably is we're in the clubhouse a couple times every uh game day before and after uh, i was curious what type of access do you guys typically get and then in this era of you know coronavirus pandemic what uh what are you getting right now well i I don't think we're as lucky as you guys in, in relation to media access. And I, I know on the whole, U.S. sports franchises tend to be outward facing, kind of wanting that level of attention and interest. So they give you great access. I don't really think it's the same over here with the Premier League. I think if, if U.S. sports franchises are outward facing, I think Premier League clubs look to protect their own interest. It's, mm. it's kind of quite inward facing. They, Give interviews maybe occasionally, but it's when a side might be riding high in the league. Um, you don't get the dressing room access as you would do at say a baseball game. We, we normally we would speak to one player after the game if things have gone well. That might be a player on the whole in the Premier League. That would be a player that the club's comms team would, would lead out to you. So I'll give you an example. When I, when I covered Everton against Watford in Watford in February, Everton won 3-2, good win. So they brought out a player. The player is the person that scored the winning goal. And that, that tends to be how it works. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's a, a, a little bit more structured, uh, for want of a better phrase. I think we get less access on the whole. And what does that mean in terms of our coverage now? Well, probably not a lot, in awful honesty, because we don't, well, we certainly haven't grown up on massive amounts of access. We don't get exclusives every single week mm -hmm. and we don't speak to players in dressing rooms. So I think we've always had to, maybe unlike you guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, we've always had to kind of look for different ways into things. We've had to forge different connections with different people. And when we've had an opportunity, we've, we've kind of had to seize upon it. Uh, now, 
that means telling different stories and also just trying to maximise those opportunities when they come. But I, I think it's fair to say that it's very, very different between a standard kind of US franchise and the Premier League clubs that tend to be a little bit more cautious and a little bit more paranoid, paranoid some of them. I've talked with uh, different Japanese media who have covered and, and Korean media who have covered uh, players over here, and they've told me that in some instances, maybe I don't know how frequent or common it is, but some some of those players will will work out deals uh, with media outlets in Japan and South Korea for kind of exclusive access, whether it's payment or or, or something like that. I guess it's like basically pay for, pay for interviews. Kind of situation has that? Does that go on in your league at all? I don't think so. I think certainly if, if that does happen, it's probably more informal as an arrangement. I.e., mm-hmm. the journalist have might have a really close connection to a football club, um, or he might have a close connection to the representatives of a certain footballer. It doesn't really tend to happen that media outlets here pay for coverage specifically. It's normally done either through a third party or formally through a football club. Um, it would be, it'd be unusual to see that kind of deal struck up. Um, and maybe that's part of the issue here. It's not that easy to buy that kind of access. I don't think you can <laughs> at times buy that kind of access. I think the, the, the way this works is that we all get on with certain people better than others. And that means that inevitably you get opportunities with certain players and you don't get opportunities with others. And that's just the way it tends to be. The other side of this is that obviously we will pitch our ideas to clubs and to, to representatives of players, but clubs will also pitch their ideas to us. So at times they might want to highlight the good work that a certain player has done over the past month. And that's when that player would then be put up for interview. I think it's, it's, it's maybe less formal than buying access or less formal than, um, having to, to, to go and make those specific partnerships. A lot of this is about how well you get on with individuals, both inside and outside the clubs. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Patty, we appreciate you coming on. And now we, we turn our sights uh, to Greg. Uh, I was curious to hear from you a little bit of the fan perspective. And I know you guys both grew up with with Everton in your, in your blood. Uh, with the Pirates, there is a lot of fan angst. I would say since the 90s, they haven't had... Um, much of a much sustained success and the the fan perspective I think would be that the ownership won't pay to be a top tier club. Um the ownership won't pay to keep their best players. I don't know if that's that's how people feel about uh Wayne Rooney who who walked away after a couple of years. I don't know if I don't know if he walked away. Who knows what he did. You guys know better. Um but uh, I was curious the is it the same sort of small market perspective with the with Everton, do people uh, wish they were paying more? That's one of the things that occurred to me when I was kind of looking into a bit of the background on pirate on the pirates and sort of thinking about what we might chat chat about. And I think the difference with Everton and since about 2016 is that um, they were bought out by um, a billionaire. So I'm, I'm sorry, you guys obviously know this, but you know, just to put it into context, where the sort of difference where Everton have changed tact. So this billionaire, um, former, uh, accountant, uh, you know, um, who came in for Hadmi Shiri, left, sold his shares in Arsenal and then bought into Everton and then gradually became the majority shareholder and now the outright owner. Oh. And that's crucially enabled Everton to change from a club that was never able to complete, but compete with the top clubs. Hmm. And then finally become a, you know, a side that spends big money on players. 
what's happened so far, which is very evident to, to, to uh, borrow Rob's <laughs> um, very accurate summary of things, is that just as Everton have had that big money, the landscape shifted subtly in a number of very important but but imp- very important but subtle ways. Mainly um, financial fair play and the way the Premier League and UEFA police that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Everton had gotten this billionaire benefactor, which they always craved, say, 10 years ago or even five years ago, they could probably have competed with the likes of Manchester City, who've kind of started buying their way to... Uh, Premier League title success uh, towards the end of the sort of 2000s and in the early part of this decade, or, or rather the last decade. Um, however, now it's so much strictly policed in terms of you're not allowed to spend a certain amount in excess of what you earn. And then UEFA, the European governing body, are trying to double down on policing that. So it's really restrictive. Um, and it's a great thing in many ways. It's trying to keep these leagues from being monopolised by clubs with the big owners. Well, we could have done with that when we when we had no money and we had a very earnest yeah. but, but relatively um, broke owner back in the sort of David Moyes era when Bill Kenwright, who was a fan himself, uh-huh. poured every ounce mm. of passion and money he did have into the club but just wasn't able to fund them to go sign the big marquee players. Um, so... It's been an issue of Everton all, all of a sudden having these mega funds, but not not being able to spend them. Very Everton, and also when they have spent big, <laughs> they've invariably kind of got it wrong so far. So oh, they, yeah. they have a director of football, who's I think you're familiar with with the sort of role, aren't you? It's someone who comes in, you know, above the structure of the club, who's not the owner, and sometimes sits alongside the manager, sometimes sits a little bit above them, but is responsible for the entire kind of business, and, so, and it, it sometimes. The manager becomes more of a coach. Sometimes he's like an equal of the director of football. But Everton got one to sit alongside Ronald Koeman, obviously, you know, the world-famous name mm-hmm. football over here. Uh, and it was just a disastrous pairing. And they spent, they wasted a lot of money on very substandard players who came in on huge contracts and didn't do anything. And it, it's really interesting. Sorry, this is a really long-winded answer, but it, it's kind of just, I think the context is important. It's interesting when I was even speaking to Landon Donovan last week for a piece on the site, and obviously he, you know he's mm-hmm. got very close ties to Everton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was asking him about what he thinks from a distance about Everton having this new money, and he said the key thing that he thinks is a shame is that somewhere along the way it's felt like they've lost a little bit of the DNA that made Everton so special when he was there. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. And he hopes that they can find their way because he he says I totally accept that. You know, you need that money in the Premier League to compete at the highest level. But sometimes when, when you have that and you bring in groups of players who are just there for the big contracts and maybe don't have the camaraderie and, and the real will to win, uh, like they had under Moyes, for example, you begin to lose your way, you know, sort of on the pitch and then off it to an extent. Oh. And that's probably been true in terms of there's been a bit of a malaise. And, you know, before Mark, um, sorry, before Carl Ancelotti was appointed with the supporters as well, kind of, sometimes becoming a little bit losing that sort of really fantastic spirit and passion that made Everton supporters um, so special. They were almost becoming to be gripped by this malaise of kind of, you know, if the, if the players don't care, why should we? So it's, it's become an issue that's been quite interesting, really, as, as you've watched Everton have these great funds, how it hasn't exactly opened the promised land as they thought it would. I think there's going to be a bit of both. You need the money. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure you know. 
but Buccaneer Air fans would be the same. They would say, you know, we, we, we want the benefactor. We want to be able to compete for the best players. But you've got to keep what keeps, you've got to make sure you keep what makes the club special as you progress. Yeah, that, that's funny because it almost feels like Everton is through the looking glass from where Pirates fans want to be. They would love to be sold and uh, have someone spend gobs of money and, and, and get them to the top of the league and, and payroll. But it might not be uh, might not be so bright on the other side. I think too. I mean, that, that's something. It's interesting you mentioned that, Greg, because the, the, the one thing that I've kind of sensed just these past couple of seasons, and you know, I'm doing it from from afar, <laughs> obviously. But it's just other than Seamus Coleman and, and Leighton Baines, I don't have that feeling that these that they're Evertonians. You know, that the guys on the on the pitch are, are there to play for Everton per se. It just seems so, it seems so disjointed. And I think some of that is that they've gone through so many managers and playing styles, um, you know, yeah. say what you will about Roberto Martinez, but I, I thought he did a good job of matching his talent to, to the style that they played, was really able to take advantage of, of everything that Lukaku brought to the pitch. And I just haven't seen that the past couple of years. But, but yeah, that's a perfect example of what, you know, what I was trying to articulate in terms of, they were able to sign players on big, big contracts, bigger money than salaries than they could ever offer players before. Um, but they weren't necessarily players who were buying into a team ethic. You know, they were, they were probably joining, not in all cases, but in some cases for the wrong reasons, you know, because they had a big contract and maybe they lacked the hunger from players like Tim Cahill, Mikel, Mikel Arteta, Seamus Coleman, a perfect example, cost £60,000. It was yeah. unbelievable, really. Um you know, and that's what I mean. You can't, as Everton sadly proved, you can't achieve success just built on that sort of group of, you know, players who come with the real hunger. You do have to be able to add the star quality. You know, Everton were always desperate for a, a you know, a proven goal scorer. And Lukaku was, was as close to that as they got. And ultimately, before Mishiri's money came in, they were unable to keep him yeah. because he was so successful. They had to sell him. So that was again mega mega frustrating from our point of view. But then on the flip side, if the if the players that you bring in are only coming for the contracts and they haven't got that hunger mm. and they're not necessarily there to try and improve themselves and the club, then that's when you get in a territory where you, you it leads to um, I think you, you're in danger of kind of treading water, and that's what that's what's happened at times. Greg, with this next answer, you are going to save the baseball world. One of the, <laughs> one of the biggest issues I think people have with the way baseball operates today is that for a lot of teams, the best way to win in five years is to tank and be terrible for five years uh, or a okay. few of those years, gather early draft picks, and this is an entirely different scenario as yours, I'm sure, and fans would love to incentivize trying to win. And so a lot of them like to float the idea of relegation and say, you know what? If you don't win for a, a couple of years, you're going to, you're going to get kicked down to triple A or the minor leagues. Uh, I was yeah. curious, what is it like to be in a relegation world where you can't really take the foot off of the gas and, uh, and, you know, accept massive deep losing for a few years in order to get better? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question because I suppose, you could understand how clubs could be lured into that culture of failure, whether or not it's explicitly, I'm sure it's not deliberate, but you can, you can almost see the sort of appeal by virtue of the fact that eventually, 
you know, we're stuck in this cycle of, of not winning. Yeah. We might get our chance. Um, we might be able to get first pick of the draft. So I could see how that could become quite seductive, but obviously for all the wrong reasons in a way. <laughs> yeah. um, relegation, I guess, keeps clubs honest. It, it's, it's brutal. It's highly pressured. It's something that, you know, as an Evertonian growing up, I, see, it's, it's quite interesting because f- for us, and this sounds really sad, but it was almost kind of some of my most evocative memories early watching Everton, where of Everton literally going to the wire in order to stay in the Premier League, being right down there. And it, indeed, it, it, on, t- on two occasions, it went to the last day and Everton had to win a match. And if they didn't win that game, they were going to be relegated. And this is a club that's, that's since the formation of the Premier League, has never been out of the top flight. This is a club that has got, alongside Arsenal, the longest history of being in, in the top division. So not just the Premier League, but all the league before that, of any British football club. So it would have been a really sad day in the club's history, you know, beyond sad. And they just about got over the line. And that felt like success. So Paddy would say the same. Beating Wimbledon in 1994 on the last day of the season. I remember at Goodison, we, we all ran onto the pitch People were pulling up mounds of turf from Goodison to take it home and keep it. We were punching the air. The elation was, it was, it was like winning a trophy, unfortunately, because I was born in 1980, so Everton's heyday in the mid-80s. Don't really remember. I feel like I remember it because it's such a part of our history, but I don't substantively remember it in any kind of, I wasn't, you know, I kind of wasn't old enough to probably go to matches, let alone go and drink and see my friends. So, it was only 95 when I was a bit older when we won our last trophy. For me, my first and last trophy that I remember Everton winning. Um, that, that showed me the point of difference between just surviving and being elated and actually winning an important trophy. Um, but it, it is seductive sometimes when you, when you begin to think that just staying, just staying in the fight is, is, is a virtue and it, and it is. But you've got to aim for something higher than that, haven't you? You know, you look in the Premier League of like Leicester City, not so long ago now in in recent history, yeah. who completely smashed the odds to win the Premier League, and you know that dream is still achievable. It, it's obviously not easy, and it's extremely rare, but it can happen. And I guess that's what we all cling to, whether it's all sports fans, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, or rugby over here. It's that kind of. Not all, there's only a small amount of clubs who are going to have the traditionally huge fan bases, globally huge fan bases and limitless funds. But we've all got that kind of dream, haven't we, of upsetting the odds and having that romantic season where everything goes right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Greg, as as you know, I mean, with baseball as well, with with football, fan participation and and music and, and such, such a big part of it, which is why if, you know, if we come back to empty stadiums, it's it's going to be, you know, even though the elation will be there of having games again, it'll be kind of somber with nothing but empty seats all around. Yeah. Um, but but here in Pittsburgh, and, and I guess in most major league stadiums, you know, they, they, there's an, most ballparks have an organist. They play music. Fans do a little, you know, occasional little chants if there's a rally going on. In Pittsburgh, one thing they do, though, that the fans do here that drives me up a freaking tree <laughs> is it, it's – and, Stephen, you know where I'm going with yeah, this. It's the woo. It's the woo where they will just people will just go woo. And no <laughs> now you have to it. do it right. They go woo. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's yeah. That's essentially it. They just do woo. They find the, the quietest moment. Guy in the stadium, 
and it goes on for what seems like hours. <laughs> One thing I've always loved about listening to to Everton games, um, I, I, I listen to it on, on XM, and also I'll do yeah. you know I'll get online and stream the the the, the what I think what they most proudly call the the most biased broadcast in the Premier League <laughs> is it's just yeah the commentary is fantastic, but I sometimes wish there'd be longer silences so I could just immerse myself a little bit in the chanting that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just wonderful. And, you know, and at the end of the match on those rare occasions when I've seen them win and, you know, you, you stand up in good and you sing that it's a grand old team to support. That must be wonderful. What's it like though? I mean, is there, is there a, a chant on your end that just drives you freaking bonkers or is it all just wonderful? No, no, absolutely. It's funny because with Everton, Evertonians, um, because we share the city with obviously Liverpool and, and, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're so kind of, successful and well-known they're, they're always the, the constantly comparing up and Liverpool fans do it as well because like Paddy said you know we, there are often split families but you always can compare and contrast and Liverpool fans are known globally for being you know this amazing sort of atmosphere at Anfield where they sing from the first whistle to the last no matter the team behind going into extra time their, their fans are you know singing you'll never walk alone and they're getting behind the team and Often it inspires them to come back to these implausible victories and, and things like that, right? But with Everton, <laughs> it's, they call Goodison, as you know, the bear pit. But Evertonians mm-hmm. quite, they, they don't really buy into anything that they perceive as plastic or like organized fun, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't really buy into like, you know, singing sections that they, 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 began to seep into the Premier League where you would have like a lot of the home fans, I think they have it in the MLS as well, would sit in a certain end and, and would be encouraged to chant at certain times. Yeah. Everton fans are so kind of like uh, <laughs> willfully kind of rebellious that they they sing when they want to sing. And if they don't want to sing, it can be a really oppressively silent ground at times. And often the noise is actually the players, sorry, the, the fans getting on their own players back. And, and that's something that's become a bit of an issue actually sometimes where it, Players have actually said the pressure to perform when things are going badly at Everton can become a vicious circle because the fans are so angry and they're so demanding. And and it, it's almost, you know, counterproductive, but that's just the way Evertonians are. However, when they're behind the team, and it has to be genuine, it, you know, it, it doesn't kind of, you can't just magic it up or it can't just happen. Um, it's formidable. And the, the wall of noise sometimes can just... You know, opposing players have spoken about it just being like really, really difficult when Goodison's fully behind and it, it's an old stadium and it, and it kind of does rock, um, and you kind of feel it, the sort of vibrations of the noise when you're sitting in the, in the press box, which is kind of like, by the way, as an aside, the, the smallest, tightest press box in the division and <laughs> barely room to kind of move when you're trying to type your elbow in the guy next to you. But, um, <laughs> The woo, I have to say the woo did make me laugh. That, that would annoy me as well. <laughs> Everton, again, they don't have that many kind of sophisticated songs. But what does annoy me is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling out for these multiverse, intuitive, you know, brilliant lyrics, but they, they have this Everton song and it's just Everton, Everton. And that's it. Uh, yeah. And sometimes it makes me like claw at my own eyes because I think, come on guys, a little bit more ingenuity would be, <laughs> would be better. But Grand Old Team is, is the one that, you know, when they've won at the end, it, it really gets the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up and Zed Cars before the game never fails to kind of make 
make me take, take a deep breath really. And that's, that's, um, especially when I don't know if you guys are familiar, familiar with, they kind of rebooted it a little bit with Everton, the Everton, the boxer from, from our city, Tony Bellew, won a few world title fights. And I think he, you know, he was in the Rocky, some of the Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. British boxer in the city was a massive Everton fan. And he used to come out to, um, some sirens that sounded like air raid sirens and then Zed cars. That was his own little mix of the song. And it was so kind of rabble rousing that Everton, um, Everton adapted their own version to have that. So now five minutes before kickoff, these huge air raid sirens blare out around the stadium and then Zed cars kicks in with these like sort of military drum beats and then the, the, the sea shanty sound of Zed cars and, it, it, you know, it's, it's really special for me. And even, even when you're in the press box trying to focus on, you know, the million and one things that you need to do during the game beforehand, it, it, I still do take a pause sometimes and just kind of, it helps pump me up for the game, whether or not it's professionally or personally. Speaking of music, you broke my heart a couple of years ago when I was at a, uh, at a, at a concert here in Pittsburgh, uh, Echo and the Bunny Men and Ian McCulloch was wearing a Liverpool jersey. <laughs> it just, yeah. it made me want to cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of like, there's a lot of the media, sort of like the celebrities over here, who are kind of Liverpool fans. That you just like Daniel Daniel Craig, who I really liked as James Bond until he came out as a Liverpool fan, and, and that annoyed me. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just it's repeated kicks in the backside all the time. My, one of my favourite actors was Michael Fassbender, and then all of a sudden he mm-hmm. inexplicably revealed he's a Liverpool fan, and it's like, oh, for God's <laughs> sake, guys, just give me someone who's not going to then. Reveal himself to the cop eyes and yeah, I share your pain with that. Uh, bef- before we let you go, I uh, I have a lightning round of baseball terms to ask you. Uh, just get your very quick snap reaction to what this possibly could be. Uh, but I need to know first, what is your? Do you have any baseball background? Do you know? Do you know anything about the game? No, it's laughably laughably <laughs> sort of low. I, I'm, I'm learning very slowly because that's one of the fun things about. Obviously, joining up with the Athletic is this, this amazing resource that we can read all our colleagues' works yeah. across the pond. And, and you know, I, I've always been interested, had an interest in in um, NFL. Uh, mm-hmm. I love boxing, so I, you know, I kind of read about the the fight scene across the world and the content we do. But, but baseball, I had one colleague at the Echo who was an absolutely fanatical Padres fan. And, and he would always try. He was a sub editor on the de- on our news desk, and he would wear Padres caps and shirts, and <laughs> he would come over every day and try and convert us to be baseball fans. And we would we'd be like, Paul, we haven't got time for this. And you know, <laughs> when 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 Liverpool were bought out by and the guys at Fenway Park, it was like it was his birthday and Christmas rolled into one. Um, so he was kind of. We used to have some good fun with him, but to answer your question, my my knowledge is laughably small on baseball. So this All is right. the education. Too. All right, this will be this will be good then. I'll give the uh, the real explanation very briefly afterward. But let's start. Let's let's get into this. What is a backdoor slider? Backdoor slider is is that is that a way of completing a run? With, <laughs> but, but you but you kind of. Doing like a surreptitious sly way. Uh, no, almost. Uh, actually, not almost, but I like that answer. A backdoor <laughs> slider. A slider is a, slider is a type of pitch. It curves, and this is a, a slider that curves right by the back foot. It's called a backdoor slider. Okay, what is war? War. All right. What what is war? Um, is it like a? Is it like a, a derby? Is it like when two big cities <laughs> close to each other play one another? 
That's a good one. That might be that might be the Subway series when you have uh it, like a, let's say if Everton and Liverpool were playing it's like the Yankees and Mets uh you play in the city. Yeah. But war war that's a great answer. War is uh, a stat. It actually stands for wins above replacement. Uh, our podcast is <laughs> our podcast is called Yins Above Replacement because Yins is a very <laughs> Pittsburgh word. So that's good. I did wonder what Yins was all about. Actually, I needed to ask <laughs> Okay, what, number three. What is an inside the Parker? An inside the Parker. Okay, so is that when um, is that when the when the batsman kind of connects sweetly and and it, and it, the strike goes and and. See, even my semantics is embarrassing. But it, 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 you know, it kind of, it doesn't clear the sort of first tier of fans. So it doesn't like kind of smash out the park. It's, it's the opposite of that. It's inside the parker. Well, you're very close, actually. You're very close. So inside the parker means it actually doesn't go over the fence. It is still in the field of play. Still in the field of play and the guy, uh, but it, it bounces around enough that the guy's able to circle the bases and get it. It counts as a home run, even though it didn't go over the fence. So you're very close. Okay, okay. Okay. What is the hot corner? <laughs> I was gonna, no, I was going to say really inappropriate, kind of. They're all like the really good, really good looking fans sitting. <laughs> uh, the hot corner is, is that a part of the pitch where, um, is that, is that a part of the, no, I've got no clue here. All right. I like your, you, I like your answer where that's all the hot fans sit. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, the hot corner is actually. <laughs> Go on. The, hot, the hot corner is another name for the position third base. The third baseman plays at the hot corner because balls are hit very hard to third base. Um, okay. okay, two more, two more. What is the what? neighborhood play? The neighborhood play. Is that like a, like a really basic play that's kind of you would learn just playing in the neighborhood? So it, it's, <laughs> there's no sophistication to it. It's like four four two in soccer where you just kind of you know, the most rote, basic of plays, but it can be quite effective nonetheless. Sure, you just learn this one in the neighborhood. You may learn this one in the neighborhood. Uh, neighborhood plays when you're turning a double play and an umpire uh, sort of accepts that the guy didn't actually step on second base, but he was close enough that it counts. So it's an it's an unwritten, informal rule that, uh, unfortunately, uh, VAR and replay would, would uh, prove it to be an incorrect call and they'd, they'd overturn it. Um, okay, last one. Uh, this one has a couple different names, a couple variations, so I'll give you both of them. The safety squeeze or the suicide squeeze? Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, any of you guys feel free to WhatsApp me the actual answer. So, you're all sadists and enjoying, uh, enjoying this. So the safety squeeze or the suicide squeeze? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yep. They, they feel like hugely contrasting names or something. <laughs> Uh, they do the safety squeeze or the suicide squeeze. Is that a type of pitch again? Um, is that is is that a type of pitch that kind of you really you you kind of got nothing left to lose, so you try and throw that, but it, it you know it's late in the game and it could try and rescue you a point, but it's very risky. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's very good. The safety uh, squeeze and the suicide squeeze are very similar plays. It's when a, yeah. bat, a batter, a batsman, bunts the ball very, uh, you know, very short. Um, yeah. And there's a person on third base trying to come home. In the safety squeeze, they play it safe, and they wait to make sure they're going to be able to make it home. So it's a, right. that's why it's safe. They they take they take a beat to make sure it's it's been bunted right. and they're safe to go. Um, yeah. The suicide squeeze is where they say we're throwing caution to the wind here, 
And as soon as the pitcher throws that ball, the batter is going to square to bunt, and I'm running no matter what. If the batter misses the ball, um, I'll probably be tagged out at the plate. But it's no matter what. This is a way to, to try to force a run across without really getting a true hit. Uh, very dangerous to do a suicide squeeze, as the name might might suggest. So before you uh, before you try to turn this on us and ask me terms about football, I'm going to throw it over to Rob, who's going to kick you out of here. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much for for coming onto the pod today. Um, I figured this is one of those times when a lot of us writers are just sitting around thinking of different ways of doing things. And uh, you guys have some free time. We have some free time here. So I, I appreciate we, we were able to span the time zones and, and get together for a bit. And I, I appreciate you being a good sport there with uh, with Nez's Q&A <laughs> on baseball terminology. That was really good. Fun, guys. I enjoyed it. Um, thanks very much. Good chatting. And maybe we can uh, link, out, link up again sometime. You bet. Cheers. Uh, you got to get Nez on glad tidings and just like nail him to the wall with football terms. Uh, oh, don't worry. It's, uh, his time's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, what, what's the yins then? What, what's the yins thing? That's like it, a Rob. You're from here. Yeah. Yins is like a, it's, well, there's, there's this, if you live in, if you grew up in Pittsburgh, yeah. um, there's like a certain kind of accent that you have that yeah. it's different, obviously, if you grew up in Philly or whatnot. So yins is a, is a Pittsburgh term that, in, in the South, they would say y'all. Oh, okay. In Philadelphia, where my wife is from, they'd say yous. Um, I don't know what they would say in Michigan where Nesbitt's from. You guys. You. <laughs> you guys. You guys. So yins is just you, you all, you guys. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Um, and it's, there's like a whole list of Pittsburgh terminology. Uh, you know, we, we, we say pop instead of soda. Uh, we say mum instead of mom. Whoa, look, that's uh, really. Red up the house. That's interesting. So, That's really English, yeah. isn't it? Because obviously we say mum rather than mom. Mm-hmm. Pop. Yep. Was like, I remember my dad would, it was like an 80s thing. You'd call like soda pop, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's like a, a bit like in Boston where you have that kind of almost crossover from like the Celtic. And yeah. You know, I wondered about that as well. Yeah, because it's – Pittsburgh's an area where there's a lot of like German, Polish, yeah. Eastern European – but so much of the Pittsburghese, yeah, it does seem to have its roots in, in you know, in, in like UK speak, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. That's cool. So, and use is very scouts as well. Like scouts would say, what are you doing? Meaning yeah. what are you, are you, mm-hmm. you guys doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. there you yeah. go. Well, nice one, guys. Enjoy. So, it. Thank you. Well, thanks again for listening to our special Everton Pirates pod during the, uh, the middle of the Major League Baseball and Premier League shutdowns. And, uh, We'll talk to you later.